I've always enjoyed listening to scary stories. Not like ghost stories or Dracula stuff, but stories about real things that actually went down. Scary stories about hairy situations. From HairyStories.com and STGB, I'm Matt G, and this is Harry. That was actual cockpit recording of an F-4 being shot down over North Vietnam. You can hear the flight leader talking to his wingman when he was hit by a surface-to-air missile. The flight leader immediately calls for his wingman to bail out. They managed to eject, but the pilot was killed, and the backseater was captured by the North Vietnamese Army. At the end of the clip, you can hear the eerie sound of the emergency beeper indicating ejection from the aircraft. Lethal 23 and 37 millimeter anti-aircraft artillery fire was quite heavy at times in the north and caused the loss of many U.S. aircraft. Given the opportunity, F-4s and other attack aircraft could destroy most of the concentrated anti-air fixtures. But the intermittent nature of these missions allowed the North Vietnamese ample time to rebuild their air defenses. Because of this, many pilots were shot down during strike missions over North Vietnam and, if they survived, ended up as prisoners of war. You'll remember that the end of episode two had made a war story session in Colonel Graves' living room in Texas. As the night and the drinks rolled on, he told me the abridged version of the most insane air combat story I've ever heard. I pleaded for a full account but neither of us were in condition to capture it at the time. Which brings us to episode three. I've just touched down at the Austin airport, which was ironically converted from the old Bergstrom Air Force Base in Texas, where Colonel Graves retired. He agreed to pick me up at the airport and showed up curbside in a beautiful red Ferrari. It was a surprise to say the least, and I couldn't quite square it with his modest suburban home. He explained later that when his beloved wife passed away before her time, he used a chunk of his savings to buy a brand spanking new Ferrari 360 Modena. I guess the cliché about fighter pilots being addicted to speed is true. I managed to record a bit of my own hairy experience with this 85-year-old from the cockpit of his Ferrari. Think about it, hauling ass in a Ferrari is child's play compared to flying over twice the speed of sound in an F4 Phantom. Anyway, here we are again in the safety of his living room, and it's time to get into the real hairy stuff. The story we're about to tell 
is almost beyond belief. It spans beyond Colonel Graves and F-4s and even the U.S. Air Force. Colonel Graves and some other badass pilots are going to help me tell it. It all starts on a, quote, normal combat day in Southeast Asia in 1969. Wind 1103, clear for takeoff. Quick break from the podcast. This is Matt. In episode two, I interviewed Ed Cobley about flying night combat over Laos. Apart from being a pilot, Ed's one hell of a writer. He wrote the best-selling book, War for the Hell of It. It really helped me get a better understanding of what was going on in the fighter business in Vietnam. Well, he's written a fantastic new book called Fly with the Falcon. The subject might surprise you, but Ed's a master, and it's a great read. It's about sexual harassment in the U.S. military and peregrine falcons. It's set in Saudi Arabia and California's central coast wine country. And it's a tightly written, fast-paced narrative about how three troubled aviators, two human and one avian, find their tangled lives intertwined. As always with Ed's books, it features exciting aerial action, this time from both female birds and fighter pilots. It's about three protagonists searching for a solution that will give them back their freedom. Freedom to fly once again. It's a great read, and you can find it on Amazon.com, Amazon.fr, Amazon.co.uk. And Ed will be happy to give you your money back if you don't love the book. Again, that's Fly with the Falcon. I highly recommend the book. And now, back to Harry. On this day... Uh, I was flying the Dawn Patrol. Get up at 3.30 in the morning and then over to the club to have breakfast. And I'm sitting over there uh, trying to wake up, drinking my black tie coffee and eating a pomelo. And uh, it just happens to be the cocktail time for the night owls, my sister's quarter, who fly night combat. And so I'm interfacing with three of my night owl buddies who've got two or three drinks in them and they're just raving on and hand flying about the combat they were in while I'm trying to wake up. So this guy, I had a paradoxical relationship with him. I, I was always drinking coffee and trying to wake up while they were, you know, in the middle of their cocktail hour. So that's the way my day started out. So on this mission, uh, I was going to fly something new. They're breaking me in on dropping sensors out of Loran-equipped F-4s, you know, flying my flight commander is going to be the leader, and he's going to do the dropping, and I'm going to be flying his wing in a position called shotgun. And in that case, what I'm going to be doing, he's going to be in the deck one at the speed of heat, and I'm going to be 8,000 feet above him in the line of breast, so that if something came up on him, like the Golden Hose, the ZSU-23-4, uh, kind of a Gatling gun type thing, that I could call him, call the brakes and then dive in quickly and fire rockets at him while he's trying to escape. And today he's going, we're going to go right up Magia Pass. Anyway, we were now making our entry for the sensor run into Magia Pass. Coogie is going to be down in the pass as low as 200 feet. And uh, the visibility turned out to be very limited that day. It was less than three miles. And so 
rather than flying at 8,000 feet above him as shotgun, he put me on his wing, on fighting wing, I'm an, uh, on his wing about 600 feet out to the right. Uh, we're making very high speed ingress at 200 feet and about 550 knots. And uh, we're going to slow down and pull up to 500 feet and slow down to 500 knots for the center drop. And we started this procedure. And about this time, I started seeing some very unusual. I just didn't know what was happening. It was like flashbulbs going off and uh, popping here and there. And of course, it wasn't time to talk about it. But later on in the debriefing, Googie told me that it was 37 millimeters that they had depressed pointing down and they were shooting down on us. And what I was looking at was 37 millimeter shells ricocheting off the walls of the canyon. So anyway, uh, now we're at 500 feet and uh, Coogee made a center drop right on the money. We did that. And then as pre-planned, we pulled straight up out of there. We had tremendous smash anyway, we were going so fast. And then uh, cracked the burns. Thunderbirds uh, flew to Lee coming out of there uh, to confuse the gunners, and uh, which we did. I broke right and he broke left, and they shot through the middle. And that was, you know, my break in on the sensor runs, which are really thrilling. And so we joined up, and I thought, hey, man, that was that's really some wild stuff, you know. And just as I was settling down, I'm on his wing now, we're headed back home. I heard a beeper go off. Somebody had bailed out somewhere. It was faint, and I thought, dang, wasn't that? I was talking to my backseater, Jimbo. And then we heard another one. And then we heard another one. And I thought, uh, you know, what the hell is going on? So uh, anyway, then we concentrated on getting back, returned to base, landed. I'm talking to the uh, intelligence debriefers, and I immediately said, uh, we told them, like, we heard these beepers, and they said, yes, there's been a big shoot down all over the theater. There have been um, guys shot down uh, way in the north of the Plain de Chars in uh, Laos, all the way down to the south of Vietnam. And I thought, oh, man, that's going to be something. There's going to be one hell of a search and rescue uh, going on this afternoon. And the uh, intelligence guys told us that there had been a, a shoot-down of an F-4 uh, somewhat in the area that we had been in, in the town of Banfanop, and that uh, it had been a high-speed ejection, it looked like. It took a big hit, and that the, um, the crew had ejected, and that uh, the front-seater um, got a good shoot. The back-seater, unfortunately, was not in a good position, and you know, had flailing injuries, it looked like, and uh, um, had been seriously injured in the ejection. Ejection from a jet aircraft is an extremely violent event, even under perfect circumstances. In fact, one in three ejections results in a broken spine. When you pull the handle in an F-4, there's a powerful rocket underneath the seat that shoots you out of the aircraft with a force of 14 to 16 times normal gravity. If you're flying fast, you'll be shot up into a wind blast that can literally rip you into shreds. 
I wanted to interview someone who had successfully ejected from an F-4 during the Vietnam War and was still alive to tell me about it. As you can imagine, there aren't many of those guys walking around. I came across an article about an ejection that had many parallels to the story we're telling. It was about a Navy crew who ejected over Vietnam in an F-4. After weeks of persistent badgering, I finally got retired Navy Captain Jack Inch to agree to speak with me about his ejection. Hello? Hello, Captain Inch? Yeah, Matt, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't know what happened there. Some Something went wrong, so I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to record this a different way. So I'm just recording uh, uh, directly on my speaker, but hopefully it'll work. Um, well, I, okay. I, I, I really do appreciate you taking the time, sir, uh, to speak with me. And um, as uh, discussed previously, I, I would really like to hear uh, from you directly about your, your experience of, of um, ejecting in your third cruise okay. or fourth cruise, I believe. I was on my fourth combat cruise in Vietnam, and uh, my pilot and I, uh, Mike Doyle, had the lead on the mid cap, our wingman, uh, Bud Taylor and Jim Wise, and uh, we, uh, yeah, we launched off, went up, tankered, tanked off, and tanked up, and uh, um, started heading in for our, our mid cap station, and we were going to be overland toward the Karst Ridges west of the target, which is in the Nam Dinh area of, um, of Vietnam. And uh, so we crossed the beach and uh, immediately we got undertaken by uh, AAA and, and uh, some uh, surface to air missile batteries. And uh, so uh, our electronic gear was just going crazy and detection and warning gear lit up like a Christmas tree and our headsets were alive with the the uh, sounds of, of the Chinese, it sounded like the Chinese fire drill and all the stuff going off and we immediately saw we had, we had a problem and there was many surface air batteries that uh, had us under under uh, fire and um, so uh, we started maneuvering and and um, I can remember at least uh, four or five that I remember that we managed to uh, avoid. And uh, and then the kind of the world just caved in on me at that point. There was a dazzling light and tremendous concussion over the cockpit as a sand that we didn't see detonated. And uh, I looked down to see shards of the canopy of plexiglass and shrapnel all around me. My left hand was laid in my lap, covered in blood. And um, and I kind of, I, I can still remember, I said, oh my God, no, I guess, you know, kind of thinking that it's not going to happen to me, it's always going to happen to the other guy. I was on my 285th combat mission at that time, and, you know, you kind of feel bulletproof, and, well, this time I wasn't. Captain Inch was flying in the back seat of the F-4, which was piloted by Mike Doyle. They were on a CAP, meaning Combat Air Patrol Mission, over Vietnam when they ran into heavy fire from ground troops shooting anti-aircraft artillery and SAMs. 
Those of the dreaded surface-to-air missiles, the size of telephone poles, often guided by skilled Soviet operators. They've just been hit, and Captain Inch has seconds to make one of the most important decisions of his life. I looked up from the back seat through the cockpit, and, and I saw a light there, and, and he was kind of slumped forward over the controls, and we were hit, you know, hit down. I'd say we were about 3,000, 3,000, 4,000 feet or so. We about 450, 500 knots, and I realized that we were in a dire situation. And so I just reached down and I, I said, you know, to myself, I, I kind of thought, I mean, that, you know, he's not really flying this airplane right now. And we were about 30 degrees nose down and, and going to speed and eat. So I just reached between my legs with my good hand and pulled the ejection handle to get us out of the plane. We had um, F-4Bs that we flew with then that had been retrofitted, and we had command ejection system allowing either crew member to eject both cockpits. And uh, I felt the initial surge in the seat start up the rail and a tremendous blast of air as I hit the windstream. And uh, then the next thing I know, I was hanging in my chute surrounded very peaceful silence of outside of the, of the airplane, and uh, so I started looking around and and uh, you know see what the situation was where I was going to land. And, and I remember I saw the plane crash, and I looked around. I saw Mike's chute deployed some distance from me too. So so then I knew that we both got out of the airplane, and I reached for my survival radio to get out. I want to make a broadcast out of my position and condition and, and let our wingman know that, that uh, uh, you know, I was okay and I was alive. That was an important thing to make sure that people knew that you were alive. And then I realized that uh, my hands weren't doing what my computer and my brain was telling me to do. And I looked down to discover that uh, the high-speed ejection had caused my limbs to flail so violently in the wind that, uh, in addition to badly mangled left hand from the, the sand explosion, that uh, both elbows were dislocated and the forearms were pushed about halfway up on the inside of each arm. So I was kind of helpless at that point. At the time of ejection, they were at 3,000 feet, flying at about 600 miles per hour towards the ground. In the span of a few seconds, his plane was hit with a missile, his pilot and friend was badly injured or killed, and they ejected into a wind speed of about 600 miles per hour. A human being can't take that kind of wind blast without damage. So now he's in the chute, with a mangled hand, two badly dislocated elbows, and he's floating down into enemy territory. Man, this is Harry. So I couldn't get out a radio call. And then adding to my anxiety, if you will, was I heard some strange buzzing sounds around me. And uh, I realized what was happening. The people on the ground were waiting for or shooting at me. The bullets were whizzing up past me and, and uh, hitting the silk of the, of the canopy. And uh, I kind of thought through my mind right there was, well, this is the end of it. You know, I put my hands put myself in the hands of God at that point. But uh, luckily I wasn't in the air very long uh, to provide target practice. 
and because of a little altitude ejection and uh, either that as a combination of them not being very good shots I wasn't hit I landed in a rice bedding and I squirmed to get my head above the water squirmed around and propped it up against one of those dirt walkways that run through rice bays and then uh, another pang of panic kind of raced through me as the water started kicking up in little spurts around me and I realized they were still shooting at me so I thought oh my god this is you know this is the end start saying my prayers and uh, then abruptly the shooting stopped and uh, a bunch of Vietnamese approached me and finally they just figured out I was no threat and uh, they pulled me out of the water and they got me over to a dry area of the land and stripped me of my flight gear, flight suit, boots, mostly just by cutting them off and re reduced me down to my underwear and I was carried to a small hut at the edge of a rice paddy and, and there I was uh, kept and it was a our mission was the last one of the day so it was about uh, oh, 1800 in the evening or so by this time and uh, so they they kept me there laying in this little hut and uh, waiting for dark and uh, while I was there a kind old man came in held my head up and gave me some cold tea and holding the cup helped me raise my hand to drink it some uh, fluids into me and a, a young lady also attended to my needs by kind of tucking my mangled thumb into the palm of my left hand and finally they uh, after dark I was covered I was uh, taken from that area down through the trails to the main to the main road and waiting for me there was a, a truck with some uniformed uh, military people and I was thrown in the back of this pickup truck covered up with a tarpaulin and uh, then I was uh, eventually taken into Hanoi where I was uh, ended up in Hanoi Hilton and then um, that's there's more to that but that's the rest of the story but that's that's pretty much my my ejection experience Captain Inch ended up in the famous Hualu prison which has come to be called the Hanoi Hilton. When he arrived, they chopped off his thumb instead of trying to fix it. Many US pilots were killed and tortured in this terrible place. There's much more to Captain Inch's story, but this call was about his ejection experience, and that's where I respectfully left it. The pilot, Mike Doyle, didn't make it back from Vietnam alive. It wasn't until the summer of 1985 that Doyle's remains were returned by the Vietnamese government. He's buried in the Arlington National Cemetery. Our story started with a similar scenario. An F-4 crew ejected over enemy territory after getting hit with a surface-to-air missile. Colonel Graves was flying in the area at the time, and now he's back at base in Udorn. Yes, well, uh... Several of us that had been up that day, the fighter pounds, uh, were in the tactical operations center along with the intelligence guys uh, and some of our commanders um, to assess uh, what was going on. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon and um, it appeared we'd had really a major shoot down of seven aircraft shot down. 
from the northernmost part of the theater to the southernmost part, uh, including the uh, F-4 uh, that was shot down that we were talking about earlier. Um, the front seater, it would appear, got out um, and got a good shoot and came down okay. But the back seater suffered uh, some grievous injuries. He had two broken legs and a broken arm. And he was lying in very high sawgrass. Uh, but he could, he could use his radio with one hand. And the bad guys and dogs and everything were after them. And they apparently uh, caught the front seater and executed him. And, but they couldn't find the back seater. Uh, and at this point, uh, it, we had about an hour and a half, it looked like before dark, where the rescue forces uh, were going to have to be summoned and come together and go out and try to save him before dark. Imagine what must have been going through the mind of this backseater who just bailed out. Lying in high saw grass with broken arms and a broken leg. Wondering if he's going to make it. The sounds and the smells of the jungle mixed with jet fuel and blood. He knows he's a hunted man and that the window for search and rescue is rapidly closing. The chaos of ejection is over and the pain and fear are starting to set in. Can search and rescue even get there before dark? If not, can he survive the night alone in the jungle with these injuries? On the next episode of Harry. This uh, search and rescue has to take place before dark because you don't do them at night. And it's a now or never uh, situation because uh, informally everybody thinks that uh, this guy won't make it through the night with those kinds of injuries. original six-episode series by HarryStories.com and STGB. 100% of donations to this podcast will go straight to the Air Warrior Courage Foundation, providing emergency financial assistance to veterans in need. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and write us a positive review. The theme music is Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata by L'Orchestre Cinematique. Cover art by Florence Denise. Special thanks to Jack Inch, a.k.a. Fingers, for sharing his amazing story. I'll leave it to you to figure out how he got his nickname, Fingers. Source material for this episode included Cockpit Audio Sam Shootdown by YouTube channel Scott Jackson, Vietnam Phantoms of the Sky by Military Films, Inc., and Ambien's Creepy Wind by Inspector. Thank you for listening to Harry. <laughs>